Welcome to Lost in the Movies. This episode covers Marie Antoinette, just like last month did, but a different Marie Antoinette. That one was the 1938 version. This is the 2006 version. So this season will be a random season. Uh, No explicit connection between the different films. But I did think I'd start off by linking up to the previous film from the previous season. So you got a nice little fold over there. And uh, as always, please send feedback on this or any other topic that interests you on this podcast. I will have some feedback to share about Marie Antoinette uh, that I received back when I originally recorded for patrons several years ago. So I'll share that at the end of this podcast. Before we get to the review of Marie Antoinette, here's an update on my recent work. I'm going to try to go through this fast because there was a lot. Even though I put up the December uh, Lost in the Movies episode late, even so since then, in the like two and a half or three weeks, tons and tons of Patreon podcasts, public podcasts, written pieces on my site, which I haven't done for a while, but I had quite a few uh, written pieces going up uh, really in the last few weeks. So let's start with that. On my site, I published Introducing the Revised Twin Peaks Character Series and Extremely Brief Appearances in Twin Peaks, first preface to Twin Peaks Character Series. So this is where I kick off my series of written entries on in some ways, all of the characters on Twin Peaks, this first extremely brief appearances is just images of like even featured extras that, of course, don't get a full entry written about them, but everybody's enveloped in this. I also reviewed Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0, the new Neon Genesis Evangelion rebuild film, and I continued my Unseen series, highly popular movies from a given year that I hadn't seen before, with Captain America, the first Avenger for 2011, and Scott Pilgrim vs. the World for 2010. And I put up a status update I called 2023 on Lost in the Movies. So you can check all that out. Links either in the show note or if you go to the cross post, if this if there's just not enough room in the show notes, you can follow that and it'll have all these links there. Other podcast feeds include Lost in Twin Peaks Season 3. I posted the rest of uh, episode number 44 on part 15 of The Return. And then number 45 on part 16. So that was like a week of podcast episodes, an illustrated companion where I line up all the categories with screenshots. And I paused before uh, the finale, part 17 and 18. Hopefully that'll go up in February, but just too much else going on to continue with that for now. Twin Peaks Cinema, episode number 20, went up Rashomon Disordered Stories. On YouTube, I posted Twin Peaks Conversations number 17, audio, Twin Peaks Evangelion hosts Craig and Vinny. Now, these are uh, this is a podcast that compares Twin Peaks to that anime show, Neon Genesis Evangelion, that I reviewed uh, extensively on my site. And we had a great conversation about those two series and how they watched them, the unusual way they watched them. And for the $5 a month tier on Patreon, I put the back part of that conversation with Craig and Vinny there. Dollar a month patrons got an exclusive advance for the character series, the entries for numbers 62, 60, and 59. So patrons always get at least a month ahead of wherever the public character series that I just launched will be. I also actually put up another advance for the character series shortly after that one, because uh, that one was at the end of December and this one was at the beginning of January for numbers 55 through 52. And then a big episode on 60s and the zeros uh, for the dollar a month patrons. I'll just read out the title of that as quick as I can. So episode 97A was 60s bonus, concluding the 90s and 70s, Jean-Luc Godard's Weekend, plus capsules on Bonnie and Clyde, The Graduate, Midnight Cowboy, The Swimmer, Dr. Strangelove, Duck Day Afternoon, The Muppet Movie, The Muppet Christmas, Carol, The Witch's Heat, The Blair Witch Project, Edward Scissorhands, Election, Groundhog Day, Total Recall, Dick Tracy, Archive Rating of To Kill a Mockingbird, plus feedback, media, work updates, and more. And uh, episode 97B and D 
where everybody look what's going down, the 60s archive and Hall of Mirrors, the Zeros archive, those were free for the public. So even if you're not a patron, you can access those because they're readings of past pieces I published. And then finally, episode 97C sandwiched in there was The Zeros in November and Beyond, Southland Tales with guest Andrew Cook, with his feedback in my capsule on the film 300 as well, plus capsules on No Country for Old Men, There Will Be Blood, Zodiac, A History of Violence, Brokeback Mountain, Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind, The Darjeeling Limited, The Dark Knight, Gangs in New York, 500 Days of Summer, The Ring, Donnie Darko, The Box, and an archive reading of my reflections on that decade. And then finally, just in time for Christmas, I put up episode 98, Holiday Special, Continuing the 60s, The Apartment, plus capsules on How the Grinch Stole Christmas, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, A Charlie Brown Christmas, a Zero's Archive Reading of a Christmas Tale, and Andrew Cook's Further Reflections on 300 and Zero Cinema, plus my plans for the, big three, uh, the three big Twin Peaks projects, feedback, media, work updates, and more. So all of that available. If you check it out, check out the links. And uh, now, on with the show, let's talk about Marie Antoinette from Sofia Coppola in 2006. I'm afraid the Queen has a somewhat artistic temperament. It's not too much, is it? No. She spends like mad. People of France are hungry. The King and Queen are complete blunderers. Don't they ever get tired of these ridiculous stories? Can't you do something? I'm not going to acknowledge it. She was in the shrubs at dawn with various men. He has quite a reputation. She's a terrible queen. Letting everyone down would be my greatest unhappiness. The Bastille Fortress was stormed. I haven't actually gathered that much context on this film because I wanted to just watch it and record sort of my instant reaction. But I did watch the trailer again, you know, to get the audio for this transition. And it's interesting because I think the trailer sets up in some ways a more conventional film, or, or at least one that's easier to digest. You know, we get the sense of, okay, ooh, we, we kind of enjoy this uh, decadent luxury of this queen. Uh, but at the same time, we see how it's kind of pissing people off. The bad girl that we love to hate and all that sort of thing. It's, it's playing with that idea. And it sort of humors this idea that she has all these lovers. Now, when you see the actual film, she only has the one lover that we see. Ultimately, this, this isn't really a film which is trying to tell as clear-cut a story as the trailer suggests. It's really much more of a mood piece. And I think that's both good and, if not bad, complicated. <laughs> Because on the one hand, I think it's more interesting for uh, Coppola to take that to take that kind of approach to the material rather than sort of trying to squeeze it into this sort of easy to understand paradigm. But on the other hand, familiarity of this subject and the context might need something more than she wants to give it. As you can guess... This is the story of the last queen of France, at least of that royal lineage, up to the French Revolution. And Marie Antoinette is most well known now for probably two things. Um, supposedly saying, let them eat cake, which the character in the film denies having said. And uh, secondly, getting her head cut off in the by the guillotine, uh, which the film does not show. It ends with her and her husband and their children leaving Versailles. 
and there's a shot of the empty bedroom trashed by the mob and and that's that. So this is interesting because it's a story of a figure who is really most well known for in some ways as some people see it provoking the French Revolution which is certainly very oversimplistic but you know she certainly was not well liked by the French populace and she was seen as a symbol of the decadence and the waste of the royalty and uh, so many relished her capture and eventually her death and uh, it takes this figure and it separates her in most ways from that political historical context um, there's a little bit of it certainly at the end of the film uh, we see her kind of clash with that world and you know there's a moment where she comes out on the balcony and kind of bows before the mob as if you know recognizing that now in a sense they have the authority and it's an interesting moment because um, really nothing in the film has prepared us for that she's so separated from the rest of the world and the film does not seem particularly critical of this it's a fairly sympathetic portrait of Marie Antoinette and in that sense it's it's sort of interesting to watch I think in this moment where there's uh really much more of a populist sensibility uh, ostensibly on the right although that's bold we can talk about that another time but certainly on the left um, there's a there's a disdain of of you know ruling elites and uh, the ostentatious display of wealth and and privilege and everything like that so in some ways it's interesting to watch this film in 2018 um, versus when it came out in 2006. Marie Antoinette was Sofia Coppola's third film I believe or third feature film I'd seen it in the theaters at the time, and then this is the first time I've watched it since then. So it's been about 12 years, amazingly enough. And actually, the funny thing is, um, Sofia Coppola is probably, certainly at that time, perhaps since as well, my favorite director of that generation of directors. Uh, that's her, uh, Wes Anderson, P.T. Anderson, Darren Aronofsky... Um, trying to think who else might fit in that era, but basically filmmakers born in the very, well, Generation X, born in the late 60s or early 70s, came up in the mid to late 90s and, uh, you know, really thrived in that first decade of the 21st century and all are still working pretty prominently today. And they're all, interestingly enough, I would say the last generation, really, like the last generation cohort of young filmmakers to come up and they're all now in their late 40s uh, mid to late 40s you know i think sofia coppola might be the youngest at least out of those four but they're all within two or three years of each other and you know they're well into middle age and nobody's really come up since other than maybe a director here or there certainly internationally maybe there's there's been a handful but there's no like movement of young filmmakers that are emerging maybe mumblecore or something like that but that's very on the margins there's there's been nothing like these directors since then so sofia coppola i think was one of the strongest voices of that generation and i loved her work particularly lost in translation which is easily my favorite film uh, by anyone from from that uh from that group. Now that said, I have not seen any of her films since Marie Antoinette. So that's a whole decade of work that I that I've missed out, and that's really it says more than anything about how little I've kind of engaged with contemporary cinema. Yeah, Sofia Coppola. I haven't seen Somewhere. I haven't seen The Bling Ring, and I haven't seen her most recent one. Uh, the name's escaping me, but the one set during the Civil War. 
And uh, I haven't seen anything else that she's created in that time. So I really watching this again made me realize I've got a lot of catching up to do because this was a film, like I said, her third film. She was 35 at the time, I believe. And it was her first, uh, certainly her first film on this scale. I mean, this is quite a uh, sumptuous film. Big cast, obviously grand costumes and production design and everything like that. And I remember at the time, I think it may have been booed at Cannes, which is almost a badge of honor at this point, probably partially for cultural reasons, whether the fact that she would be celebrating Marie Antoinette in a sense who is not necessarily a beloved figure in France, or, or that there was this sense of, you know, totally Americanizing this very French story. So I, I'm not 100% sure what the controversy was, except that I remember a lot of people really not uh, liking Sofia Coppola at this time, and, and since then as well. And there was just this sense that her films were very frivolous, and, you know, oh, she's only there because her dad is a famous filmmaker and everything like that. And I was always much more taken with her work. Like I said, she was my favorite of that group. So in some ways, this seems like the perfect subject for Sofia Coppola. It's a young woman who is on her own in some ways, experiencing ennui, but in a very luxurious, certainly visually appealing way. And that ties into, you know, her earlier films, Virgin Suicides and Lost in Translation. What's interesting is, in a way, it feels to me kind of... Uh, in a position between those two films, in the sense that Virgin Suicides is told uh, entirely from the neighborhood boys' point of view. They're, they're looking in at these, these uh, girls who are their age but seem so distant, and they can't quite figure them out, and there's some sort of interiority there that they can't reach. And Lost in Translation, on the other hand, is entirely told from the young woman's point of view, and we really completely share in her sensibility and her consciousness throughout that film. And Marie Antoinette, to me, feels in between because we're certainly closer to Marie than any other character in the film. There is no one else whose point of view we're, we're sort of more akin to. And yet, there does feel to me a little bit of distance there, partially because of her just ridiculously elevated position. I mean, she's at the top of possibly the most powerful empire in the world at that point. You know, maybe you could argue the British Empire, but certainly the most powerful absolute monarchy on the earth. Even though Sofia Coppola kind of presents this in a more approachable, down-to-earth way in, in some ways, you know, she certainly focuses on the luxury and the grandeur of Versailles and this world that she's in. But in terms of the behavior, however formal, the rituals and stuff that they go through, these all seem like very normal people in a way. And she kind of highlights that. Like, there's a scene where... You know, I think it's her birthday or it's the coronation. I'm not sure because they're both sort of positioned closely together. And Marie Antoinette goes out and looks at the sunrise with her friends. And, you know, it's almost like they're a bunch of high schoolers, like after the prom or something, hanging out. It's like, well, wait a second. I don't think the screenplay is necessarily the strongest point of this film. Uh, I think it, it serves its purpose. It certainly creates a lot of room for these wonderful, absorbing set pieces that Sofia Coppola is so good at. It sets up the mood and the atmosphere that she wants to convey. And it's a little bit, not perfunctory exactly, because this, this doesn't have the normal problems of a biopic. Um, in some ways, actually, it almost has the opposite problems of, of what a biopic usually has. There's a lot of beats it doesn't hit. It kind of focuses on what interests Sofia Coppola about her life and, you know, doesn't try to hit all of the other things. So in a sense, that's good. But in another sense, it leaves us with a little bit of a void. And I think, you know, it's it's interesting that this subject is essentially treated in such a almost staggeringly apolitical way. And... 
there's a bit of ambivalence about that because on the one hand, it arguably reflects Marie Antoinette's own point of view because there's certainly a sense, at least this is the characters depicted in this, that she's very absorbed in her own life and trying to satisfy what the people around her want and feeling this listlessness and longing for something else. And, uh, you know, it's it's able to convey that. But you can't escape this larger context of who she was and, and what was going on in the society around her. And I'm I guess I'm I'm I feel somewhat ambivalent about whether or not the film is lacking something in in choosing to make itself in that way and that may seem like an unfair criticism because you know there's an argument that's often made somewhat reasonably so that you know you take a film as it is as as what it's trying to do and you know you know you don't compare it to the some other film that you think you wish it was or so forth and so on that also can be i think that that can miss the point a little bit too because the question is is what this is enough and i'm not sure aesthetically i really enjoy this film i just it's got a wonderful lush feel to it and i think it's important to point out this isn't just a matter of what's filmed in terms of the production design and the costumes and all of that there's a gorgeous texture to this this is a film this is shot on film by lance accord it really just has that richness of celluloid of specifically the grain you can just feel it in these different scenes there's something alive to it i'm not an expert at all on the differences between digital and film i really just don't have that much even casual knowledge really of uh, hd and its qualities as a medium but it does feel to me like there's a difference just watching works increasingly rare that were shot on film and and then seeing works that were shot on digital. Ultimately, I think the question for me is, is the subject worthy of the style in a way? And I don't, by subject, I don't necessarily mean Marie Antoinette, but I mean the way the film chooses to treat Marie Antoinette's story, to depict it. I'm not sure that the story of a monarchy that was deposed in one of the most significant revolutions in history is really the best pretext for this luxuriating and texture and and atmosphere um, on the other hand you could argue the fact that that's there to distract you is, is something valuable in the film it isn't just creating an aesthetic and leaving it in that void it's creating the aesthetic and occasionally nudging you even if ultimately you're more nudging yourself just from your outside knowledge of hey there's a lot more to this story in this world that's out of frame as absorbing as what's in frame is. I don't know if I would want to boil it down to sort of a pithy statement or two. If I have a final summary judgment of the film, I find the aesthetic extremely striking, and I appreciate the opportunity it gives us to sort of wander in Sofia Coppola's world. I think she's an auteur that any film is probably going to be worth seeing by her just because you get a little flavor of that. And it also leaves me wanting more in a way that I don't would say lost in translation. And that maybe I do with Virgin Suicides, but it seems to be, that seems to be a component of the film. Whereas in this case, I just wonder if, uh, despite how seemingly suited the film was to her sensibility, if in a way there's something about it that gets away from her or is either too much for this treatment or perhaps not enough in some way. But I do like it. Lawrence was the patron who suggested this several years ago, back in 2018 when it was recorded. And, uh, Here's some feedback that he had to offer, which also comments on the 1938 film briefly that we covered in December. At this time, when I recorded it for Patreon, I hadn't recorded that one yet, so I 
showed them to the public in reverse order. That's why he references uh, his curiosity about how I'll cover that, which he would soon find out about. Hi, thanks for your coverage of Marie Antoinette. Enjoyed this episode and concurred with many of your observations read the aesthetic versus the broader political context. There were echoes here of something you said in relation to Laurie Anderson and post 9-11 about recognizing for the first time that we have entered a new phase of history. Coppola's Antoinette certainly belongs to a different age and reflects contemporaneous attitudes to wealth and privilege that now seem jarring. I understand that Coppola's newest film, The Beguiled, is darker in tone overall, though I haven't seen it yet. It occurs to me, however, that certain practical considerations may have shaped Coppola's vision, not least that, to cover the full trajectory of the last French queen, would involve depicting a heroine who ages from 14 years, when she first arrived at Versailles, to 37 when she died, and then prematurely aged by her traumas so that her hair was reputedly white, etc. I'll be interested to hear what you make of the 1938 version, and that film's relationship to its own historical context, the Great Depression. And that is it. Next month, we're going to cover the film Heart of a Dog by Laurie Anderson. Very interesting film that I covered uh, like this one. In fact, I think in the same patron episode back five years ago. What is the name of those things you see when you close your eyes? I think it's phosphines. The reddish patterns, the little stripes and dots and blurry little lines you see floating around when you close your eyes. 